Hello and welcome to Gutted. I'm Elise. And I'm Tony and we're here to spill our guts about horror films. If you are new to the podcast, you can find us on YouTube, Instagram, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts at Gutted Horror Podcast. And today we are getting into the holiday spirit. We're going to be talking about 1989's Deadly Games, Dial Code Santa Claus. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Very excited about this one. Um, It is written and directed by Rene Mansour. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but that was my best shot. Good. Rene Mansour. But Hmm. before we get started, I want to give a quick shout out. To McKay Books in Knoxville, Tennessee. And I'm wearing the t-shirt for those watching on YouTube. Yeah, thank you, McKay's. You've provided us with many of our um, physical media. Yep, we got (laughs) to uh, spend a summer in Tennessee. And there we discovered that Knoxville, Tennessee is kind of like the hub for physical media. Yeah. There we had McKay Bookstore. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and Grindhouse. Grindhouse. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Shout out to Grindhouse. They used to be apparently in Florida. And I think they recently moved to Knoxville. Shout out to Manic Movie Monday. She said she used to um, frequent Grindhouse. And I was listening to her podcast. And uh-huh. she's like, oh, I used to go to Grindhouse. And I was like, what? There's a Grindhouse in Knoxville. <laughs> Couldn't believe it. Kismet. Yeah. A lot and, of shout outs today. Yes. So yeah. thank you to. Yeah. McKay Books. McKay's Grindhouse Grindhouse. and Manic Movie Monday. Yes. All right. um, Let's get started. So today's episode. Yeah, this is a Spill Your Guts episode. Yes. Uh, We will recap the first half of the film and explore some of the film's elements more deeply, spilling all of our feelings, thoughts, and guts in the process. Before we do, however, we should warn you that there will be spoilers. So listen at your own risk. Listen at your own risk. Yeah. All right, so should we get into this? Yeah, Tony wrote quite a nice little synopsis here. All right, here we go. Deadly Games, Dial Code Santa Claus, also known as 3615 Père Noël. No, 3615 Père Noël. Good job on the French. Thank you. I I didn't even want to try to attempt that because I knew I was going to mess it up. I Google translated it. (laughs) (laughs) That's the way to do it. Thank you. Sorry for all of you fluent French speakers. Yeah, it's not me. Yes. Soft snow falls upon the Eiffel Tower inside a snow globe to a dreamy magical Christmas soundtrack. The camera zooms out further and quickly our mood is literally crushed. A big garbage truck smashes this perfect magical moment. No messages intended here. Just coincidence, right? Wrong. Dead wrong. We meet a young boy, Thomas, who lives in a giant mansion with his business tycoon mother, Julie, played by Brigitte Fossey and loving grandfather, Papi, played by Louis de Creux. Thomas is quite the special child. He sleeps in a decommissioned airplane inside of a giant treasure trove of toys. A soundtrack of war plays throughout the house where his morning routine includes some very obsessive Rambo-esque cosplay. He plots through the morning, hunting JR, his loyal pup, with plastic grenades, booby traps, and a computerized armband, complete with spy cams and tracking devices. He is part computer hacker, part action hero, but very much just a kid. And tis the season for little Thomas to have another obsession, Santa Claus. 
Thomas is set to prove to his stubborn friend Pilou that Santa Claus is real. Even though Mommy and Poppy give convincing arguments that Santa is real, Thomas has to find out for himself, and he has the resources to do so. He tells Mom he is going to hit up Santa on Minitel, a pre-web internet popular in France in the 80s and 90s. Mom praises his intelligence and imagination, but ain't got no time for parenting after breakfast. She got a toy empire to manage. <laughs> and of course, it's Christmas Eve, so you know she's going to be working late. So little Thomas is left home alone. Wink, wink. Well, Poppy is there, but he's too feeble to count as supervision. Also, Poppy's blind as fuck, but won't admit it. Meanwhile, a mysterious man played by Patrick Florsheim lurks the streets, obsessed with children. Is he a pedophile? Is he a sociopath drawn towards the wonderment of a childhood that was taken away from him as a boy? Is he a guy who will kill anyone in the way of stopping him from a little game of hide and seek? Who knows, but he definitely ain't right. So he does what any creep on the streets would do. Catfish Little Thomas by posing as Santa Claus in the Minitel chat room and gets a job as a mall Santa. Naturally, all the parts for a deadly Christmas showdown are stacking up. Thomas has been spending his Christmas Eve fixing mom's old car, playing board games and discussing the existence of Santa with Poppy and, oh yeah, rigging up mobile computer surveillance and security around the house to catch a glimpse of the real Santa. This kid must be on Adderall, right? Later, mom checks in on Thomas, telling him to go to bed or Santa will never come, and that if Santa is seen, he will get mad and turn into an ogre. Nothing Thomas isn't prepared for. Come and get some, Santa. And that's exactly what Creeper Claus does. After stowing away on mom's present delivery van and killing the delivery man, Creeper Claus climbs down the chimney. Thomas, who has fallen asleep under the table waiting for Santa, cannot believe what he is seeing. The real Santa Claus. He was right and now he has proof, except wait, JR also sees what's going on and goes in for a vicious attack. Get out of there, JR, that's Santa, leave him alone. Santa kicks JR off his sleeve and pins the poor pup down as Thomas watches in horror. Santa stabs JR with a cake knife. What we witness next is the touching yet absolutely badass shattering of a boy's perfect magical moment, just like the snow globe. And little Thomas is forced to protect his poppy in defending his home, mano y mano versus Kris Kringle. Get out of here with your paint buckets and broken Christmas ornaments, Kevin. This kid's got live grenades. All <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, the, the wink winks and nods. Yes. We decided not to spoil everything of this movie because we feel like this might be one that many people have not seen. So we've really only spoiled up until like half of the movie. Yeah. Uh, poor JR's fateful end. We're leaving, I guess you can call everything after the end of that synopsis as part of the climax. We're going to kind of leave that open-ended. So if you guys have the time, find this movie, check it out. Because it's definitely worth, worth a watch. Yes. Especially this season. But let's talk about initial reactions. Initial reactions, yeah. I had first seen this movie last year on Shudder. And it was one that was on like the channels and it kept playing. And I was like, what is this? I just saw the middle of it. I was like, who is this like badass little French Kevin McAllister with Rambo war paint all over his face and body and battling Santa Claus? <laughs> I didn't know the premise, but I, I immediately got the tone that it seemed like like a Home Alone type movie. And this was actually made before Home Alone. And 
I believe it was written in 1987. Home Alone came out in 1990. Uh, this came out in 1989. Mm-hmm. Um, so just going along chronologically, it's like, oh, it seems kind of like perhaps Home Alone was borrowed heavily from Père Noël. Yeah. Dial code Santa Claus. Um, so just from the snippet that I saw last year, I was like, I need, I need to see this entire movie. And so we watched it in its entirety today, actually. And I, so we'd only seen clips. We'd, we'd only seen or clips we'd only and seen parts. little bits. Yeah. But it was enough to grab us. And, and I feel like it was always during that sort of ending action scene. Yeah. So that really did hook us. And the the child child actors are a huge part in whether or not I want to see a movie with a kid in it. Because most kids are. I mean, they're young. They're not skilled, typically, in the the art of acting. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And they can often come across as petulant and um, precocious, and those aren't typically attributes that you you want to see in your your leading character, right? But this kid did not have that. He he seemed like almost like a pint sized adult, and he was just genuinely battling for his life against this figure that's that's typically so revered as wholesome. Like the, the figure you're talking about, Santa, Santa Claus. This this figure that's like this this paragon of your childhood. Yeah, and it's your idol when you're a kid. Uh, and to see this little kid having to battle his idol is very touching, very moving. <laughs> I enjoyed this one. Similarly, I just saw bits and pieces of it on Shutter, mm-hmm. and I thought I had seen the whole film. I did too. <laughs> Until I actually sat down and watched, and it's I, this happens a lot with films where I'm like, yeah, I totally seen that seen entire that. film, and then you're like, but oh, then I you saw actually the trailer. <laughs> sit down and watch the entire thing, and you're like, oh, I actually missed quite a bit. I missed eighty percent of that. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely loved it. Everything from the soundtrack to the acting to just the premise and the mood, the lighting was wonderful, and it it had certain elements that they stuck with the entire time. It had this kind of in the beginning, very magical and soft, focusy kind of lighting. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything almost seemed like in a childish dream state inside the house. Yeah. And then immediately once you get outside with the mom, things clear up. That soft filter was removed. So once you get into adult reality, there's a very distinct difference. When you're with the kid in the home, everything is just so wondrous and magical. Yeah. I appreciated that detail. And he does live in this big giant mansion surrounded by toys. Like, yeah. It's like, wow, this kid is spoiled in a way, but he every kid's dream. Yeah, it's like it's like uh the nineties kid dream of just having yeah. every single toy. Live disposal. in a castle, every toy ever. <laughs> yeah. No parental supervision that counts. He does what he wants. Yeah. <laughs> mom is a single mom. We don't know what happened to dad. I they got, allude to dad, but I they got the impression that dad was dead. Right. But then in the feature, they're like, oh, they divorced. So, well, Oh, did they say that in the feature? The director said in the feature, oh, you know, they divorced. Dad's not in the picture. And I was like, oh, because I got the impression that the mom and kids still had fond feelings for the dad. Yeah. And the way that they talked about him as like past tense. But then in the feature, the director kind of suggested that there was a divorce and dad's not in the picture. I was like, oh, well, it's really nice of the mom to still talk about the dad lovingly. <laughs> Appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it was like a, I mean, she's sort of like a high powered businesswoman. So maybe it was like a one night stand. She's like, she needed a kid. 
or no, I'm just thinking it was. Well, it no, just, they, they were, you know, sometimes it's like the relationship just is doomed, but you know, they had a little love fling and oh. she ended up pregnant, but she knew that they couldn't be a couple. Yeah. She's like, eh, you're a barback. Your dad's a bit, he's a little bit of a deadbeat. She's no, like, no, I think the dad was a genius. Oh, because, um, when she's talking about, you know, how she's going to buy up more property, she's going to buy a new toy store, you know, for her investments. And the dad's mm-hmm. like, don't you have enough? Or the poppy says, don't you have enough? She's like, no. And the son's like, yes, mom, get more so I can have more toys and sell them to Santa. <laughs> and Poppy's like, oh, well, he's a child of his mother. And she says, and his father. <laughs> so I kind of got the impression that perhaps the father was more of like the techie one. Mm. And that's where he learned to do all his computer programming. Yeah. Hacking. He can access surveillance systems in the house. And yeah. he's he has this mobile computer on his arm. It is very reminiscent of um, Kevin's devices in Home Alone. Oh, yeah. In Home Alone 2, he has has the recorder that can... Oh, right. That can speed up his voice. Just the fact that it's like this little kid who has this little piece of technology Mm. that he uses to his advantage. (laughs) Yeah, this almost reminded me of a blank check in a way. Except for here, he got the check. And he has a castle. (laughs) Well, it Blank seemed like the parents. family was wealthy already, like generationally yeah. wealthy. Yeah, they so were old money. Check. They weren't new money. Yeah. Blank check it, new money. He just happened upon a million dollar check. Yeah. And honestly, kid, you probably should have wrote it for two million with all the purchases you were making. Yeah. But it was the 90s. Yeah. So maybe things, your buck went a lot farther in the 90s. <laughs> now, laughable. Sorry, kid. Anyway, <laughs> we digress. <laughs> He has the life of every child's dream. Yeah, except um, the kid, he kind of has to live in his own fantasy world because he has like one friend, Pilou. Pilou. And he has his dog, JR, and he has his puppy, but he doesn't really have much more than that. Now he has created his entire world within this castle. Mm -hmm. And every now and then, Pilou kind of grounds him and says, no, kid, Santa ain't real. You're, you're being childish. Mm-hmm. We get a glimpse into Pilou's life very briefly, and he has a very more – he has a more typical kid room. He, has he seems posters. like a typical spoiled brat. Pilou? Yeah. You think he's a spoiled brat? I think so, yeah. No. See, I got the impression that Pilou is more of an average child. He doesn't have the intelligence of mm-hmm. Thomas. Um And therefore, he also doesn't quite have the imagination. And so there's this argument earlier between the the mom and her cohort, her her lover, Mm -hmm. where she's like, well, he's got a high imagination, but he's also very intelligent. And they're kind of saying that that imagination and intelligence, they might go hand in hand. If you are highly intelligent, then you cannot exist within this world. Mm. Um, you have to create your own world through imagination. And Pilou might be of average intelligence, but not to the caliber that Tomas is. And so he has a very average imagination. He takes things at face value. He's got his posters on his wall. He's like, no, Santa's not real. Um no. So, he, yeah, he doesn't believe in Santa. Yeah, so he's he's trying to be more grounded. He's trying to ground Thomas and also be that booger that's like, no, he's not real. But 
then when Thomas says like, yeah, Santa Israel, we're going to hit him up on Minitel. Watch, he's going to respond. Pilu didn't um, totally disagree. He was like skeptical. Yeah. But he was also kind of the voice of reason. Yeah. When, when Tomas is telling the Santa on Minitel all his information, like where he lives and who his mom is, you can see Pilu's face and he's kind of like, I don't know if you should be doing this. This is some random guy. You should stop talking to him. And we're like, yeah, listen to Pilu. But he doesn't. Mm. And he's determined to find out. Yeah, he's just hoping. You know, it's like when you go on eBay and you're really hoping that that pack of sleepaway camp is legit. <laughs> you're like, oh, should I give him my, my credit card information? I'm really hoping this is real. I think that's kind of like, <laughs> speak from experience. And it turned out to be real. So kids, yes, give your information to Santa. Yeah. You never know. This was a time when this was like, so this was in the 80s, mm-hmm. right? And a lot of things that we experienced in the early days of the internet didn't exist back then. Mm-hmm. Um, this, you know, I remember my experiences of early internet days, and I was very willing to give out my information. Age, sex, including, location. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> including my age. My gender. my gender, yeah, my location. location, my address, my credit Just card number. Entre- you don't have a credit card. Were you <laughs> like 10? <laughs> but other people would give that information <laughs> willingly. You just had to ask. And people yeah, were very ASL. trusting. Yeah, whenever someone said ASL. Pictures of yourself, all of that stuff. So this whole idea of like being secure on the internet was not a thing at all. Well, in the future, the director, Renee Mansour, even said that the French often came up with things, but didn't know how to really think it out. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, this was kind of like, you know, pre-internet chat room days. And the French thought of Minitel, but didn't really think it out thoroughly. <laughs> yeah. And so Minitel, as far as we know, because I never experienced Minitel. I think it was just a thing in France in like the me. 80s, 90s. Yeah. Um, but I mean, you can imagine that it's sort of like a precursor to the internet. And um, we see... The creeper claws, the, mm-hmm. I mean, at this point, he's not creeper claws. He's just, he's just a, guy. a man. He's an adult with childlike wonder in his face. Right. And, but you know, something's off about him. He's, you know, he's not right. And yeah. he's just, because his first meeting, we, the first time we meet him, he's trying to, he sees these kids just frolicking in the streets, playing in a snowball fight. And he's like, that looks fun. I want to play. <laughs> so I, he walks over to play with them. They all walk away. Like, who's this weirdo? Like, who's that guy? Let's get out of here. And I do applaud the kids for, you know, being very, you know, stranger danger savvy. But also you kind of feel for, for Creeper Claws. You're like, oh. You can tell that like something was taken away from him as a yeah, child. Yeah, and you start to wonder about his backstory, which I applaud the movie for not laying out his backstory, kind of letting it up to our imagination. There are a lot of movies, especially horror movies, where they feel the need to lay out the villain's backstory. Right. And I don't I feel like that's a recent that. thing. You think so? And it's yeah. definitely very common in remakes of horror movies yeah. where it's like, we want to dive deeper. We want to know why this person, we want to know why Michael Myers exactly. is who he is. And not to digress too much, but I love... The original Halloween, 1978, without any sequels attached to it, because it's just this guy. And we see a glimpse of him from his childhood, 
but there's no relation to Jamie Lee Curtis. It's just a guy. Mm-hmm. And you don't know why he's doing what he's doing. And it's so much creepier. And it's more effective to let the audience figure out why he's doing what he's doing. Yeah. Same in this situation. You can see, you can read so much on Creeper Claus's face. And that's like a testament to Patrick Florsheen's acting abilities. He, you can tell that he thought of his backstory. Yeah. And also his, also just his physical presence. Yeah. Like he's kind of scruffy, but you see a gentleness yeah. behind his eyes. But you also see like some damage. Yeah. So when he gets rejected by those kids, you can see like almost a little like twitch in his eye. Like, yeah, oh. like, I'm going to get you. Yeah. <laughs> and then later he's there on uh, Minitel chatting with Thomas and Pilou. Pilou. His connection, because, you know, he probably has to put in money to continue the chat. Which is so funny. <laughs> and he runs out of money and he's like beating on the thing because he's just about to get the yeah. address of, of Thomas. Because he's got that impulsivity, you know, like he doesn't quite have the mental faculties to restrain himself. He's he's getting upset and he has to has to physicalize that physical physicalize. He has to manifest that physically. <laughs> <laughs> And so then he later realizes, like, so I don't know where he got the idea to pose as Santa. That's not really explained. You know, he just happens to be there. And you're like, whoa, this guy's super creepy. But I have the idea that in another world, he probably was like Tomas. Mm. And he probably had so much imagination as a child. And somewhere along the way, he was deprived of that. And he was deprived, perhaps his childhood was cut too early. And to me, he seems like he really wanted to be Santa Claus. He wasn't doing, he wasn't, po- he wasn't catfishing Tomas for any nefarious means initially. He genuinely wanted to be Santa because mm. um, that was his idol as a kid. That's what I. He also yeah. like kind of looked like Santa. He had the beard. Yeah, the beard. It, it was gray. Like, it wasn't it was gray. Yeah, he was. was he was almost there. Yeah, he was halfway to Santa, and. But then he gets his opportunity to actually become a mall Santa. Yeah. So this was okay. So he was rejected three times, and so this was escalating for him. In the beginning, he wanted to play. He's rejected during the snowball fight, and. Then he's rejected, not by Tomas and Pilu, but he's rejected by Minitel. So that was like strike two for him. Mm-hmm. And then he gets the job as a mall Santa. He's like, okay, this is it. This is how I can be Santa. It's perfect. <laughs> I can actually be Santa. And he looks like he's genuinely enjoying this. He's enjoying giving joy to these kids. Right. Until some little girl comes along and says, I don't like your face. She's, well, okay. F, when I first watched it, I thought, ah. Oh, we're pissant. And she pulls off his beard. She's like, you're not Santa. <laughs> Which I identified with that moment because I used to be a character for birthday parties. And for one birthday party, I was Miss Kitty, a.k.a. <laughs> Hello Kitty. But due to copyright, copyright reasons, I had to be Miss Kitty. <laughs> I had this giant head, kitty head on my on my head. And I went to this little girl's birthday party. She was like five or four. And she was a pissant. She was like, you're not real. I can see your eyes. Are you a boy? <laughs> I was like, oh, just sit down. Color. <laughs> and so when that little girl in the movie took off his beard, I was like, oh, that's the equivalent of taking off my cat head. I would have been pissed. <laughs> I mean, I would not have smacked her in the face. But 
Yeah, he's, he's, he smacks her in the face. He's, he wallops her. I didn't see that the first time. I was like, what a little shit. <laughs> and then he's immediately fired. Yes. But, okay, I realize why I think the little girl got um, sprightly, got spicy on him. Mm-hmm. Because he stares at her so intensely and his look on her face lingers way too long. He even caresses. He's caressing her cheek and the little girl, you can just see that she starts to feel uncomfortable. Right. And so I think the reason why she said you're not Santa is because she didn't want him to be Santa. Right. Because it was too creepy. And so I think she was trying to like deflect and she was trying to change the situation. Right. Because at first she was enjoying it until he was caressing her cheek way too long. I'm like, where's this kid's mom at? (laughs) She's in the store buying things. (laughs) Anyway, so now I'm like, okay, I get it, little girl. I understand why you're being a pissant. And he gets fired. He smacks him in the face. Yeah. You thought that Santa was perhaps a pedophile. And I thought... He was giving off that vibe. He was giving off the vibe. But not quite. But yeah, I didn't think he was quite... You know, pedo territory. Right. But I didn't think he was that far off from it, which is why I said it. It was getting there, especially with like the cheek caressing. Right. And perhaps he had some trauma in his childhood. Mm -hmm. Um, Perhaps he was a victim of something. But I mean, that that could be giving him too much. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's all the backstory that if they were to provide us with that backstory, then it would be less interesting. It would be. And I would be annoyed. Because we can just wonder like what yeah. is wrong with this guy? Something's wrong with this guy. I would also be insulted that they felt the need to lay it all out for me. Yes. So, thank, I, you, thank you. Modern Renee remakes of Monsor. horror movies for <laughs> spelling it all out for me. Oh, you like that? Uh, no, that was like a very sarcastic, sarcastic thank, you. thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Remakes of Halloween. <laughs> just kidding. Those but, are They have their own place. <laughs> But anyways, we should talk more about um, Thomas as an actor. Yes. And as he is really carrying this film. He does. He's got the entire weight of this film on his shoulders. Yeah. And fun factoid, Thomas is uh, Alain Lalonde. Okay. Alain Lalonde, the, the actor. He is the son of the writer-director, Rene Mansour. Mm. Um, and he, the director... He first used him in his previous film, The Passage, and he had auditioned all these children and they weren't working out. And I think finally he said that his son was like, can I audition? And his dad was like, yeah, I I guess so. And it worked out. And so he used his son for The Passage. And then when he wrote um, Dial Code Santa, he basically wrote the movie with his son in mind. Mm -hmm. But I mean, he makes the movie. Yeah. His his performance is solid. There's never a point where I'm just like, uh, get this kid out of here. He's annoying. <laughs> Even though he's spoiled, he still has a good heart. And the way his character is written, you really feel for him. He um what did I say before? I said he was he was spoiled, but he appreciative. Has, yeah. He was appreciative of all that he had. He had a vivid imagination. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't a slouch. No. He was fixing mom's car. Yeah. He was programming the security system. He had to take care of Pappy. Yeah. Giving him insulin shots. Insulin shots. He was a little disorganized with that. Like he needed to make that a little bit more streamlined. He knew how to drive. He knew how to drive. Pappy couldn't drive. Well, Poppy's blind as a bat. Could not see (laughs) 
Poppy, you need to get this guy some contacts or some LASIK surgery. I know. This guy is so blind. We get a, a few POV um, shots from He's Poppy. Like, oh, what? I, it's just a little blurry in this show. And it's just like Comple <laughs> Yeah, completely blurry. You can see some color it's fields. Like there's, a, there's a red image. You don't know what it is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. But Alain Lelon, I, I mean, I think that he really did carry the film. And mm -hmm. in a similar way, um, one of the reasons why Home Alone works, and I think we'll probably talk about this a little bit more later, is because of Macaulay Culkin being such a charismatic child actor. Yeah. So we have this kid who, um, you know, totally different from Macaulay, but, you know, he has this sort of um, adultness about mm -hmm. him, this maturity, mm -hmm. and um, has this presence. He's like, he's got everything. He's got the crazy spiked long-haired mullet, yeah. like this really <laughs> crazy 80s-style mullet. And when we first see him getting ready for the morning, putting on his his black face paint. And his, when he's getting Ramboed up. When he's getting Ramboed up, his military fatigues, and they're playing a French Christmas version of Eye of the Tiger. Yeah. And it's like, Christmas time. Yeah. Amazing. Yes. <laughs> Love this song. <laughs> yes. Pretty good. I think that's going to go on our, uh, our scene, scene songs, songs list. Yeah. Because it's all in French except for the words Christmas time. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. And it's total in the style of like 80s montage where yeah. it's like quick cuts. Getting ready. The glistening biceps, but it's like a little kid little bicep. Kid bi sweaty. I'm like, you just woke up. Why and then he so has sweaty? that like power pose where he's got his big giant plastic machine gun. Yeah. And it's like scowling. <laughs> <laughs> So he's got the attitude. He's got the style. And you're like, wow, this is every morning. It's exhausting. He has the really, he's got like, um, like green eyes. Oh yeah. Like hazel. Really striking hazel, striking hazel, hazel eyes. green eyes. So yeah. everything about this kid was perfect for it the role. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he's, he's talking to his dog, JR on the walkie. JR's just like sauntering along with this giant walkie around his neck, like hanging out. Yeah, the Saved by the Bell um, cell phone stuff. Yeah, and and Thomas giant is clunky. like, I'm gonna find you and kill you, JR. You can't <laughs> hide from me. She was like, hmm. So the kid's right. clearly obsessed with like action films and war yeah. and to the point where it's just like everyone else is just kind of um ignoring it or just letting it be like, like mom's like all phase. right mom catches the grenade she's like it's time for breakfast i know <laughs> and poppy's just going along with it he's like yeah this is great yeah like the first thing he said to his because mom's like go wake up poppy and so he bursts into his room while poppy's sound asleep with a toy gun yelling get up <laughs> what is he yelling at him? Something really intense. He's like, get up before I shoot you. Yeah, get before I shoot you. I caught a prisoner, a diabetic, half-blind dude. <laughs> and the mom's like, be respectful. <laughs> Poppy's like, oh, that's true. Well, like I said before, mom ain't got time to do, do any parenting. Yeah, but also Poppy's going to have a heart attack. So. Mom does love him, but mom loves at the him. same time, she's got to run a she's, toy she's empire. Busy. Yeah, she, she's busy. And Poppy's like, whatever, at least I get my shots. <laughs> <laughs> but I did think that it was very interesting. Um, and we learned this after, you know, um, watching some featurettes and stuff and reading a little bit about the movie that the boy, and you said this already, is the son of the director. Mm -hmm. But um, I think that I thought that was just like a really nice story um, in the interview with the director on our copy of the Blu-ray, uh, talking about how he was working with his son for this role. 
and um, he he had to treat the entire role as if it were a game. So he kind of had to keep his son in this state of mind that it was a game. And he tried to shoot chronologically to build the intensity. And you can there are scenes where the kid has to be emotional, and he actually he cries. And he meant the director mentioned that for the passage, he had to kind of trick or manipulate his son into getting to a certain emotional state by bringing in certain real life scenarios to make him cry. And you're mm. just like, oh man, what did you say to make your kid cry? <laughs> and so for this one, he told us and he's like, okay, are you ready to do this? His kid's like, no, please. <laughs> I'm just like, what did you do <laughs> during the passage? Um, but the kid's like, no, dad, it's okay. I can act. And so the kid just acted and imagined that he was actually in this scenario and didn't have to bring in his own real life scenarios. I think he said that he wanted to keep it. He wanted to separate his personal from professional. The kid said this. The kid said this. But you do get the impression that Alain Lalan, as a a child actor, was mature for his age anyway, because they asked him in an interview, um, do you identify with Tomas? And he said, no, because he likes war too much. And he said that to enjoy the suffering and and death of people, uh, when people are in war, people die every day. Um, you can't enjoy that. And so I don't identify with Tomas. And so mm. it was really impressive for this kid to be able to separate, to be able to separate himself from the role but still dive into that role mm. it's like wow this kid is actually a like, <laughs> solid little actor <laughs> I'm impressed but he didn't go on to do too much he nope. did a, he did three films and then special effects but also you know also in typical um independent film style this movie became a family affair. So the the brother to Renee mm-hmm. um, was a producer, also a musician. I don't know if this guy was a famous musician, but he had had some success from the previous film for a song that he had written. I love how in the featurette, the director is really talking up himself a little bit, but also his family. Um, so he had a lot of pride for what he was doing, but he was really talking of his family and being like, oh yeah, my brother, he did the soundtrack. He was making techno beats before techno was a thing. Yeah. It's like, oh, cool. <laughs> I guess he was using, um, the sound of his own door slamming and using that as um, a way to kind of pace his songs. And they showed, um, a little clip of, there's a scene where, um, Tomas is manically looking through drawers trying to find his puppy's insulin shots because, of course, that comes into play. And um, you can actually hear the beats of his door slamming. Yeah. So um, and I would say that the soundtrack and the music to this film did play a pretty crucial role in um just making it like setting the tone and setting the mood. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were. I mean, it was, it, it was pretty simple, but really effective in the way that they use the uh, score to to kind of give the audience the mood that they needed to give. Yeah, to amp up the intensity. Yeah, like the um, when the uh, Creeper Claws is caressing the young girl, there's this really soft Christmas, magical, dreamy kind of soundtrack mm-hmm. And then as soon as she um, pulls off his beard and says, I don't like your face. Yeah. Then it, uh, the camera points at his face 
and you can see his uh, smile just sort of melts and the oh. music changes to a really hard and cold style music. Yeah. So um, they really do use the soundtrack well and it has a sort of like dreamy, whimsical, uh, Christmassy kind of feel um, and combined slowly. with this really sort of like hard edge industrial music mm-hmm. uh, kind of like synth very, it's it's a pretty cool soundtrack. It's, yeah, yeah. And Rene Monsor, the director, said, like, "Oh, those tracks are still played in French nightclubs. I don't know if they are, <laughs> but his his bro seems to think so. And maybe his brother's a DJ. Yeah, maybe. And he, his other brother, Francis Lalon, I think, was one of the producers. And he said that my my brother went poor helping me out, and so you could just tell that he was really moved that his brother was willing to." front all this money i guess they said that they were nearly canceled almost every day on set yeah, for that, lack of money i mean that sounds like any independent it movie feature like it just it. sounds like the trials and tribulations of making a move making a movie is hard yeah and and, and when you're a low budget feature it's just like you're pr- constantly um coming across these different hurdles and renee monsor said repeatedly throughout the featurette that He's like, I already decided that this would be my last film. I knew that critics didn't like me. I knew I wasn't going to get funded again. I knew that <laughs> I would have no, this would be my last film. Yeah, that's the best way to make a good movie is yeah. you've got nothing to lose. He so went just for let it. it all out. Yep. And there's a, I guess they, he showed the storyboards that he had for the end. And he's like, well, I couldn't do that scene. I had no money. Couldn't afford to pay for four extras. So <laughs> <laughs> he wanted like four cops to show up at the end. He's like, well, couldn't do it. But he alludes to it, and I think that sometimes works in a film's favor mm-hmm. when they don't have money to shoot yeah. a certain film. I'll give you a great example. Jaws. Jaws. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I guess that's probably the best example. That wasn't the example that I was thinking oh, okay. of, but yeah. <laughs> Jaws, Jaws is a great example. You don't yeah. have the money to make the actual creature. You be more creative. Yes. And it's more effective. I was going to say um, the ending to Paranormal Activity, the, the original <gasps> ending. Yeah. So... If you haven't seen this, this is a little digression, but if you haven't seen it, you can probably search for it on YouTube or I'm sure it's like bonus features on one of the DVDs. And it's a spoiler. Oh, and the, sorry. I won't describe it. I'm just going to say, watch the Mm -hmm. original filmed ending compared to the Hollywood ending after it was picked up. Mm -hmm. Um, And I personally think that the original ending was much more dark and Mm -hmm. effective than the... Hollywood ending, which I I think I enjoyed more. I was thinking of the the descent. The there's a European ending to the descent, and an American ending to the descent. And I think the American one tries to make it a little bit more happy, more silver lining, whereas the European one's like it's bleak. So, so you like the dark, bleak endings? I like the dark. You know. You don't like the happy endings. You know, it. Every on an individual basis, you know, every movie has its its thing, its place. And so there are some movies that just end it and you're like, awesome. Like the ending of the burning, you're like, all right, done. Got it. <laughs> so check out our episode on the burning if you haven't seen it. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's talk about Santa Claus. Santa Claus. All Love right. him. Santa Claus as the villain. Santa Claus. How about just Santa Claus as Santa Claus? Santa Claus is Santa... No, it's played by Peter <laughs> Forsheim. You think Santa Claus is played by Santa Claus? They got no, the I'm real just, guy? I'm just saying, like, what, like, um... Why is it always oh, so fun 
to have Santa Claus in a horror movie. Because if Santa Claus is the killer, it shatters everyone's childhood. Yes. Your I- ideas of Santa. Because you're just like, man, Santa, he's like the ultimate good guy. Yeah. So. I think for kids who grow up um, with the, sorry, spoiler for any kids listening. Okay, please don't be listening. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, I, what I was going to say was um, for any kid who. Gr- okay, for anyone who has their kids in the room right now and you want to shield them. Then cover their ears. I don't, maybe just turn this off. <laughs> <laughs> um, what I was trying to say was that um, for any kids that grew up with a belief in Santa Claus, you could probably um, say that the moment in which they stop believing in Santa Claus is one of the defining moments of maturing as a child. Yeah. Into being, you know, a more, I mean, you're not going from like child to adult. Like, I don't believe in Santa Claus anymore. I'm an adult. It's more of like. <laughs> Go pay taxes. That is, yeah. It's, <laughs> it, it holds more weight than um, not believing that the tooth fairy isn't real or the Easter bunny isn't real. I feel like it's a big one when you find out that Santa Claus isn't real. You know, though, I actually, to me, the tooth fairy was a big deal because I thought I saw the tooth fairy. So when I found out the tooth fairy wasn't real, I was like, are you kidding? Who was in my room? So how did you feel big. when you found out that Santa Claus wasn't real? I think I when it, w- it was the tooth fairy first. And then you just assume. You're like, oh, fine. Tooth fairy is not real. Then I guess Santa ain't real. Okay. So I mean, for you, it's more bunny. of like a domino effect. It was a domino. I think it, I feel like it's a domino effect for a lot of kids because mm. I was so sure I saw the tooth fairy. Because I have like, you know, not so good vision anyway. And so when I opened my eyes this one particular night, I thought I saw a ghostly gray fairy in front of my face. <laughs> and I was like, oh, it's a tooth fairy. So I closed my eyes really, really tight, really fast. <laughs> so I was convinced. I told all the kids. I was like, tooth fairy is real. 100% got proof with my eyes. What grade was this? I don't know. Third, second. Third? <laughs> I don't know. And I remember being in the car with my cousins who were younger than me. And the one, my cousin who is two years younger than me, um, was telling her sister, who's four years younger than me, the tooth fairy is not real. I helped mom put the stuff under your pillow. And I was like, (laughs) the tooth fairy is real. I've seen her. There's always some tired parent who just doesn't have the energy to indulge in the fantasy of children. So they're just so like, they look, kids. the other kids, like, please go put a yeah. quarter under and her And this pillow. is totally Pilou's parents. They do not have the energy to say Santa's real. They're, they're like, busy. look, kid, just come with us over to the toy store and pick out pick what out you want. Pick out your own toy, okay? Oh. And then he goes on spreading it to the other kids. And yes, there's always that kid. I, I imagine you were that kid. I probably was that kid, yeah. But... <laughs> Hey, I was the third of four kids, so I'm sure. And I had a lot of older cousins. Your parents are tired. So I'm sure Santa Claus was spoiled for me at like two years old. Two? Maybe maybe three. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) But that's okay, because I was watching Chucky by five. So the trajectory of breaking down those childhood boundaries was very accelerated for me. You were definitely a Pilu. (laughs) Man. (laughs) 
I was I was definitely Tomas just like trying to tell every kid at school, hey guys, I saw the tooth fairy. <laughs> Great imagination. Thanks. Uh, anyways, Poor but- <laughs> eyesight, more like it. Just couldn't see. Just couldn't see. <laughs> I had floaters at the age of eight. <laughs> Cataracts by nine. <laughs> Maybe it was just really dusty in your bedroom. Probably. There's probably a little breeze under the windowsill and a cloud of dust blew in your face. It was the 90s. I don't know. We didn't have air purifiers. We didn't have Dysons. We have Dysons. <laughs> pure dust. We had carpet. <laughs> but anyways, Santa is a villain. Like that is yeah. definitely always a fun one. Yeah. Because Santa is, like you were saying, always seen as the ultimate good guy. He's the ultimate good guy. And that, okay, I actually teared up. A little tear came out during the scene when Tomas is under the table trying to see Santa. And he see, he wakes up just in time to see this rope come down the chimney and Santa's boots just kind of slowly creep into the fireplace. And the look on Tomas's face with that childlike wonder, like, oh my gosh, I can see him. I'm going to tell everyone Kind of like me when I saw the tooth fairy. I was like, I'm going to tell everyone. <laughs> he was so excited. And I was just like, like I was crying. And I, I like looked over. It was at, a really touching I moment. looked over at Tony to see if he was crying. And I was like, are you crying? He's like, no, I'm falling asleep. <laughs> <laughs> but not for the not for the fault of the movie. Just That's just my own problem. Tony, when he gets very comfy and warm. And we're like under a blanket. Like on our, on our sofa, like watching. And yeah. When he, yeah. A child from a baby. But um, anyway, I got teary-eyed. I was like, oh, this is so magical for him. <laughs> and this is the last thing that we will spoil because it happens like a little bit before halfway into the movie. And we already spoiled it in the synopsis. But um, we just see Santa's legs because we have the, the child POV under the table. So we just see Santa's legs. And he's got his sack of toys. And JR is like, uh-uh, Santa's not real. Who is this guy in my house? <laughs> JR's the dog. So JR's growling. And you can see Tomas's face, like, you know, like miming for the dog to like he's shoo. Like, no, get away, get he's away. Like, no, go That's away. Santa. That's Santa. What are you thinking, JR? And JR's snarling. And then Santa goes too far. He grabs a cake knife and he plunges it into JR's throat. And the, and the dog actor was quite amazing. Oh my goodness. That dog actor. <laughs> okay, little tidbit. According to the featurette. Thank you, featurette. It's yeah, very you got a lot of information yeah. about this featurette. Rene Monsor, he knew that he had to dress up as Santa for this scene. He could not allow he could not allow Patrick Florsheen to do it. He said that Patrick was too sensitive to do mm. it. Um, and then he could not allow the dog trainer to do it because he felt like the dog trainer would hold back. And he knew that as the director, he would not hold back. So in this scene, he's kicking the dog. Yeah. <laughs> kicking the dog fairly. I mean, it looked like it was it a real kick. A aggressive yeah. <laughs> it's the 80s in france i don't know i mean the dog seemed fine in the end but he said he did this in one take he grabbed the knife grabbed the dog by the collar and got the dog on his back and slammed the ground next to the dog's head extremely hard and the dog's face just like <gasps> was pure shock yeah and he went wide-eyed and limp I was like, oh my goodness, how did you get the dog to do that? 
And <laughs> they, he got it in one take. And he's like, I know I couldn't do it again because the dog would know what's up. And yeah, he got it, got that shot. Up. Yeah. Man. That's akin to uh, William Freakin firing a gun <laughs> as his actors are answering the phone. Yeah, that's that's dog level of firing yeah. a gun. The you, things directors will do to get the performances out of their actors, human and non-human. Human and non-human alike. I was impressed, though. I was like, wow, this, this director guy, he did not care how much he got chewed up by this dog. And I mean, I would be afraid to plunge a knife into the floor next to a dog's head for fear that the dog would just like start mauling my face. But no, the dog yielded. Anyway, it was impressive. <laughs> Good job, dog actor. Awards for dog actor. Yes. Top dog. Top dog. <laughs> Dink. <laughs> um, but Patrick Florsheim, I think he um, portrayed this sort of mysterious, creepy Santa so well because I think a lot of it was just his physical appearance, not to take away from his acting abilities, because I think that was very strong as well. Yeah. Um, but he had this sort of like really gruff and grisly appearance about him, but mm -hmm. this really sort of soft and sensitive eyes. Very soft eyes and just childlike, like they were glinting constantly, mm -hmm. like little elf, like an elf that, you know... And because he was sort of like a big and gruff dude, when the switch flipped and he went into sort of like uh, some, cra mode. some crazy guy, just yeah. it was like very believable and very. Yeah. Um, there was even a scene where he's chasing Thomas around the house and he's laughing maniacally, almost like uh, he's playing a game. Yeah, he totally is playing a game. Yeah. Which makes it even more disturbing because you're like, what is his motive? I think he just wants to play. He thinks he's playing. And there's a scene where he catches Tomas. He's like, I got you. And you're like, oh, no, what's he going to do? And then he says, I win. Now you find me. Count to 20. No cheating. <laughs> and the look on Tomas's face is like, what the hell just happened? <laughs> he's like, okay. Un, de <laughs> yeah and then pieces out out the, out the front yeah but i'm like oh my gosh this, it it just added so many layers to to this you know santa man at that moment and it's like, i i feel for him i i don't want anything bad to happen to him even though he did all these bad things <laughs> it's very complex it was yes and yeah. i think that added to the disturbing nature of this santa and that was okay now that i think about it, that was um one of the only 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 lines or segments of lines that that Patrick Florsheim had in this movie. Mm -hmm. The rest of the film, he was silent. And um, I guess he's a pretty prolific uh, or famous voiceover actor in France. Mm. Um, or he was. I think he passed away at the time of the featurette that we saw. Oh, really? Um, I think. Um, but he... Yeah, he, I guess, was like the voiceover actor that they called for, like the the big name American dudes like Jeff Bridges, Al Pacino. If they needed a, a guy to do the voiceovers um, in French, they would call Patrick Florsheim. Mm. And that's how Rene Mansour discovered him because he was doing the voiceover work. Um, he was dubbing, doing the English dub for his movie, The Passage. And Patrick Florsheim was um, playing the or doing the voiceover of the lead actor in The Passage. And so when... Rene Monster saw him in the recording booth. He could see that Patrick was actually emoting in the voiceover booth. Mm -hmm. And he he liked what he saw and cast him as this person who has virtually no lines or a handful of lines throughout the movie. 
um, which I thought was pretty impressive. Yeah. Sometimes like um, a casting fits so well Mm -hmm. that uh, you just know like, yeah, that it makes total sense that this person is that character. Yeah. Because he already kind of looked like Santa. Yeah. And he had a little bit of gruff he had all the qualities the gruff the but sensitivity the childishness. yeah sort of like innocence about yeah. him but also like could flip the switch into straight maniacal yeah. murderous and he did <gasps> yes it was impressive yes i i i love this movie it's so wonderful and while the movie was um it had other characters so we had the mom we had the boyfriend mm-hmm. we had pilu we had the caretakers mm-hmm. uh we had Pappy. It puppy. really, puppy. Mm-hmm. It really was just sort of like um, this little kid versus Santa Claus. Yeah, and this kid uh, is just—it's—it's it's just so um, touching watching that this this kid had built up this image of this figure, his and he held idol. his yeah. yeah he this character that he loved this person. And um, like wanted the, to prove the, his existence so yeah. badly, and it just went so horribly <gasps> okay, wrong. Because so the bad. mom, it's the mom's fault. She says this <laughs> horrible line to get her kid to go to bed. She says, "If you don't go to bed, Santa's going to turn into an ogre. If you see him, yeah. If you try to see Santa, he will turn, turn into, into an, an ogre. ogre and get you. Yeah. And so in the end, he's just like, oh, like you can see on his face that he's just thinking, I did this. I tried to see him, and I turned Santa into an ogre. Yeah. And so this poor kid, it's, it's like, yes, his childhood is shattered, but now he's going to need a lot of therapy. <laughs> this kid's going to need a ton of therapy. Yeah. At least. <laughs> Good thing he's rich. Good thing he's rich. Or his family is rich. They can afford it. Yes. They can have some private therapists come in and hopefully they don't look like Santa Claus. Yeah. Um, One more question before we get into our award ceremony. This is a new segment. I created an award ceremony section. (laughs) Well, what's what's the question? The question is, okay, there are obvious similarities. And the director even said, without this movie... There'd be no Home Alone because there'd be no movie to copy from. Yeah. I was like, oh, very honest. Um, there are, yes, very pregnant similarities between this movie and Home Alone. But Home Alone is not a horror. It's a family movie. So mm. what makes Deadly Games, what puts that into the horror realm? I mean, it's really just all about tone and it's all about um, mm. it's a suspense film. Mm hmm. Whereas Home Alone has elements of suspense, but it is more of like a comedy family movie. Yeah, it's like they're they're getting their heads balded by a, a flamethrower. Yeah. But they're not getting killed. Yeah. And they're not getting grotesquely disfigured. They just have like comically disfigurement. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, a bald head and some, so, yeah, some soot. So it becomes more of a cartoon. Yeah. Here, if someone gets burned, they have nasty pustules and like rotting skin. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I guess you're right. And we also have another example of an a reimagining of what if Home Alone was real. Mm-hmm. And then it very much becomes a very gruesome horror film. Oh, yeah. And that's Better Watch Better Out. Better Watch Out. Yes. Which I love. Um, so yeah, go check that one out too. Yeah. But I think that, um, you know, when you first see this movie, it's, it's 
just such a striking resemblance to Home Alone because mm-hmm. you have this kid who is defending himself with no help from any adults and he has all these tricks and traps mm-hmm. and he's a smart kid. Yeah. Um, he's a smart kid, but still has the childlike wonder. Like Kevin McAllister definitely had the childlike wonder. Yeah. Um, but they, he's forced into uh, a situation where he has to fight for his life. Yeah. And they both have these really heartfelt scenes where they are crying out for their mom that's not there. Mm-hmm. And in this one, there's a scene where Tomas is crying out so ardently for his mom and he's just screaming mama mama and at that point too i got a little tears (laughs) moms are more powerful than santa and aliens (laughs) 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 and you know rambo so i was like oh that's very cute i mean it's pretty sad to have a kid being a kid being alone is pretty sad yeah when you're a kid and you're alone you just think i don't need anything but my mom. I need my mom here now. Yeah. And yeah. I think what makes this kind of story something that really relates to kids is is that kids always feel like they can be adults. But then yeah. when they get put into a situation where they're forced to to do something where like, they oh, don't shoot. have any protection. Yeah. Then Where's it's just mom like, oh, at? Shit. Yeah. Um, this murderous Santa's in my house. I need mom stat. And even though they do it, they can do it. Yeah, it's it just like, you know, they they need that mm-hmm. feeling of protection and safety. Yeah. yeah. So this is yeah, this this kid, he's he's been training for this. He's mm-hmm. been practicing. His mom's never around. Gramps. He he knows he knows pretty Gramps useless. is useless. He knows that in this this relationship, he has to be the protector. He hides Gramps inside. I don't know. A night armor or something i don't know i don't know how he did it but he did it so you don't need to know how he did it <laughs> don't need to know they cut away for that it's resourceful yeah <laughs> uh all right let's get on to our award ceremony this is a new segment okay that at least um, made up that i made up okay um <laughs> i have three categories the first one is the golden gut the golden gut the golden gut which element in this movie would you bestow the prestigious made-up award of the Golden Gut? I would. You have to explain more of the rules of this. Here are the rules. It, yes, it can be a character, or not not a character. It can be an actor. Okay. So if there's like a certain performance that you thought, okay, yeah, that deserves this, you know, prestigious Golden Intestine. Okay. Award. Uh, so it can be an actor. It could be an element, um, a technical element like the score, the lighting, the cinematography. Okay. Um more you know anything else that's in the movie the director so what element and or person would you give a golden crusted intestine to um i mean i feel like this one is uh pretty easy for me to give the golden gut award to little alain lelan mm-hmm. because he really did have to carry this film mm-hmm. and i just try to imagine like a, another child actor let's say like i don't know um if it were the the little boy in the road i would have hated this film <laughs> <laughs> yeah if it were um the little boy from uh the walking dead who wants the cookie Oh, the Cookie Monster? Yeah. I would have hated. Actually, I'm just saying that I don't like those two character 
yeah. characters played in those yeah. movies. And I think they're kind of similar. And you know, when I first started watching Babadook, I was like, ugh, and this kid from Babadook. But in the end, he grew on me. And I was like, all right, I kind of like that. So kid. you're giving the golden gut to the kid from Babadook. No. <laughs> <laughs> Wrong episode. <laughs> so I'm giving the golden gut for um, best acting mm-hmm. uh, to Alain Leland. Okay. Yep. I know this is a cop out, but I am giving, I have a tie. So one is going to get. That sounds like a cop out. One's going to get a small intestine and one's going to get the large intestine. Okay. I feel like you had this planned beforehand. No, I didn't actually, which is why I'm (laughs) I'm doing a cop out because I didn't think about it before. One's going to get the spleen. One's going to get the liver. I want to be fair. Everyone gets a gut. (laughs) (laughs) No. Okay. So I actually did not think about my answers. I just thought about the categories. Okay. Okay. It's as far as I got. Okay. So one's going to get, and they're each going to get a type of intestine. But got yes, Alain Lalan, it's so hard to find a child actor that makes you feel so much and that you feel does justice to the role and carries a whole movie. So yes, Alain Lalan gets the small intestine because it's the longest. And because he's small. And he's small. That's me. It made sense. <laughs> and you know, that's that was my criteria. Yeah. And then I have to get the large intestine to to Santa, to Patrick okay. Florsheen, because I was so impressed with how much I was able to create in my head of his backstory by just his eyes. And he has this scene where he's finally dressed as Santa. He's sprayed his hair and beard white. And he is sitting in a rocking chair, just illuminated by the moonlight. And he's rocking. And you he at first you think he's satisfied, but then you see him cry. And mm. you're like, oh, he's having this moment where he's happy and completely content, but also remembering the childhood that was ripped away from him. I wow. put all, I got all that. It was all subtext. <laughs> all subtext from Patrick Florsheim. So He's got to get that that you know large intestine because he's yes, bigger. And, yes, you know, yes, yes. So. He's, he's very deserving of yeah. the large intestine. So a cop out, but still, I, I couldn't pick. Yeah, and I can't help but notice um, the ratio of you know small intestine, small actor, large intestine. You know, it seemed actor. obvious. And I'm going to give the spleen to the dog because the spleen to the dog. The okay. dog did a good job. <laughs> oh man. He, I was like, what did they do to make this look so real? <laughs> and there's a part where Tomas is carrying the dog and it's the actual dog and the dog is limp and his tongue is hanging out and he's slobbering. That's true. Yeah. How did they do that? Yeah. That dog gets a spleen. Well, I'm going to give my spleen award since we're just handing out really, body parts willy nilly to Belinda Carlisle. It, oh, I'm sorry. Excuse me. Bonnie Tyler. Bonnie Tyler, <laughs> who did the music video, who performed the track Merry Christmas. Is that what it's called? I don't know. Whatever it's called. She performed the, the Christmas track. Yes. <laughs> and did a music video for the movie. <laughs> Fine. What what gut does she get? She gets spleen? she gets a spleen. Yeah. yeah. Whatever. Yeah, it's great. Okay, next category. Okay. Best intestines. Who had the best? Oh, best intestines. Best intestines. Who had the best death scene? Oh, 100% the dog. The dog. Thank yeah. you. That's actually the JR. only answer I had when I made these categories. Was, I was like, oh, that dog needs Well, something. before when you were ex- kind of explaining it to me, and we hadn't discussed this beforehand, in mm-hmm. case you're wondering, um, that was a genuine reaction from me 
and oh, you or genuine yeah. answer, I should say. Um, anyways, we so before we were kind of like talking about, um, you know, going over our outline and stuff. And I didn't even think about the dog because I was thinking more about like humans that yeah. are, have died. Yeah. But, you know, our when it's yeah, that, that was a very impactful furry friend death. It scene. was. Oh, man, that dog. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm going to take back the spleen. He gets the, the best intestines award. Oh, you're g- taking awards away. <laughs> okay. Got it. He doesn't care. He's a dog. <laughs> <laughs> got it. Last category, the axe. What Ooh, the axe. element, character, element or character would you get rid of from this film? Um, let's see. Who? What would I get rid of from the film? I... I would give the axe award to whoever was driving that car that cut <laughs> off Santa when he was chasing Pilou. Oh, yeah. Because they didn't stop. Yeah. This kid was clearly in danger being chased by some maniacal version yeah. of Santa Claus. Yeah. This kid is on a bicycle trying to <laughs> frantically escape a murderous, I think he's probably bloody, Santa. And this car comes careening out of nowhere, nearly kills Pilou. <laughs> and then they never tell you who was in that car. The car no. just kept going. Yeah. So no. um, that gets the axe. Yeah. You know, that's a pretty good For, axe. I'm yeah. going to I'm gonna piggyback off that axe. Piggyback off that? Yeah, okay. that's a good one. Okay. <laughs> now I'm going to give my tiny axe to... Tiny axe? Yeah, because you gave two awards to the intestine. So um, I'm going to give... What would be a, like a tiny axe? Like a dagger? And it's more like choppy. Okay, so uh, like Cleaver. a like a mallet, like a meat mallet. Yeah, I'm gonna give my my tiny meat tenderizer award to um, the uh, animation of the shadow oh, hanging yes. off the roof. <laughs> okay, I take it back. I take back my axe. Yes, and Renee Monsor in the feature I was like, I hate this scene so much, and one day I'm gonna cut it out. <laughs> <laughs> it's like this little animated silhouette. Of Tomas when he's falling off a building or about to fall off a building. And they do it from far back. And so you can barely see it, but still super noticeable. It looks like a scene from animated Peter Pan. Yeah. When Peter Pan's shadow is following him. Yeah. It looked like that. Yeah. And so it was really satisfying to hear Renee hated that just as much. And, you know, sometimes <laughs> when you got a low budget film, you just have to use what you got. You don't want to actually, you don't want to dangle your son from a castle. So you got to use Peter Pan's shadow. Yeah. Yeah. So you're right. I would give that the axe. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And because we love Blockbuster so much, what is your overall Blockbuster rating of this film? It's kind of a scale of one to four. So the top being the staff pick, next up being a main shelf somewhere, mm-hmm. next being the bargain bin or bottom level. Is this a back alley dumpster <laughs> dumpster pick? Um, I mean, it's. I think it's very firmly for me a blockbuster staff pick. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I, I would say this ranks amongst my top Christmas horror films. Yes. All right, where would you place it? Where was your blockbuster rating? You know, this would be in my my Christmas staff picks as well. Mm. Um, it would not. Okay, so if this is an off season, if it's Christmas time, it's going in my staff picks. But if it's like March, it's probably just going on the main shelf. Okay, so but if not, it's, not below main here's shelf. Here's the question now is if it's March, is Home Alone going in your staff pick? No, 
It's going in the bargain bin. There are too many of those. <laughs> <laughs> Home Alone is a classic. No, but during Christmas time, it might go in my staff pick. Okay, I didn't know it was seasonal. That makes it me change seasonal. my decision about a lot of other movies we've been talking about. Well, what other seasonal movie are you thinking of, Leprechaun? Halloween. No, that's my staff pick all the time. <laughs> I guess that's like the criteria. Halloween to Leprechaun? Me, Halloween is so good. That would be my staff pick year round. Well, yeah, obviously. Deadly Games is good and gets to be in my staff pick for a couple months of the year. Okay. And then goes on the main shelf for the remaining, I don't know, 10. Okay. Where does this rank amongst your Christmas horror films? Christmas horror films? Is it a top five? I think I would put it in my top five Christmas horror films. Yeah, I think I'm right there with you. I think it's there. All right. Concluding thoughts. My lasting thought is for all of the helicopter parents out there, mm. it's okay. You can leave your kid at home. They will be able to defend their house. Against intruders. As long as you give them enough toys. Yeah. So the moral is give your kid more toys to each his own, you know? So that's your lasting tagline nature to versus, each his own. To each his own, nature versus nurture. If your kid is Pilu, don't give them any toys. <laughs> if your kid is Tomas, nurture that. Give him more toys. <laughs> Great movie. Go check it out. Find it wherever you can. Yeah. Buy a copy of the DVD or Blu-ray and watch it this is a one that you shouldn't miss yeah. as far as holiday horror yeah. it is a good one uh if you like what you heard please subscribe follow or give us a rating uh we mm -hmm. are on youtube spotify we are on most places where you can find podcasts yeah, you can also just true. email us at guttedhorrorpodcast at gmail.com and let us know what you think we want to hear your thoughts yeah all right. Thank you very much for watching and are listening. This has been another episode of Gutted. Gutted.